Let me pray. Father, we pray for Pastor David. We thank you for the way that he fills this pulpit week by week, the way that he brings your word. He is gifted, and you have blessed us with a gifted, uh, knowledgeable pastor who knows you and your word. We thank you for him, Lord. We pray for him right now. Father, I pray that you would help me uh, as you as you use me, Father, I'm ready to be used by you. Help me to speak what you have put on my heart. I pray that you would open the ears of all of us to listen to you and your word. We realize that communication is two-way. It takes one to speak and another to listen. We pray that your spirit would move in our hearts to hear and respond to what you would tell us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm trusting that what God has to say this morning will be relevant to each one of us. Uh, I'm going to be using a true story it's a story of life and death. It's a story of grief and joy. And it's part of a larger story, ultimately, the gospel story, the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he came to earth to do. We all have in our minds a big story. We have some way of putting everything together uh, if you're a materialist, if, you're, if your God is science, um, there's, your big story is that there's nothing outside the world that we can see. That's the story, and you set your framework within that. Your life exists within that larger story. I believe there's a different big story, the story of the gospel and our lives our whole lives from beginning to end fit within that and then on into eternity as well. It's a bigger story. The larger story is one into which each of us can enter. Our personal stories can become part of this bigger story. Your name can be written into this bigger story. But I'm gonna start with this very personal story a story of someone who is near and dear to me, my cousin Sarah. Some of you have heard parts of this story already. I delivered a eulogy at Sarah's remembrance service a little over a week ago. I also prepared a brief devotional talk this last Wednesday uh, at our midweek prayer meeting. Uh, so I'm sorry if some of you have heard parts of this more than once. Uh, the focus on Wednesday was on prayer, but I want to weave that uh, story out into more, more as uh, I've said, of the gospel itself. Sarah's story is actually very closely connected to this church. On Tuesday, April 25th, 1972, so 51 years ago, my aunt and uncle, Patricia and Bruce Hiscock, 
picked up their newly adopted 10-day-old daughter, Sarah Louise Elizabeth, from a Christian adoption agency. They put her in a baby basket, put the basket in the back of their Volvo station wagon, and drove home. My uncle Bruce went that evening to the midweek prayer meeting at Arendelle Bible Chapel here. He recalled those, those details to Brenda and I last week. The memories of that joyful day are clear. You can be sure that Sarah was prayed for at that prayer meeting 51 years ago. The next day, you can be sure she was prayed for as well as folks from Arendelle joyfully gathered at the Hiscox house to meet the new baby and celebrate. It was a fitting beginning for someone who would grow up surrounded by communities of people who loved her and who loved Jesus. She was prayed for when she was baptized about 10 years later in the same baptismal tank, this one behind me, in which I, most of my siblings, my two sons, and many of you and your children have been baptized in this same tank in which we have in the past year joyfully witnessed so many others declare their faith in Jesus. My brother Jonathan called me the other week to say that for some reason he had remembered the verse that Sarah had quoted at her baptism. So that's 40 or so years ago. He still remembered it. 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This was an important assurance that was of tremendous value to Sarah uh, through her life. You can be sure that the whole Hiscock family was prayed for at Arendelle's uh, prayer meeting when they moved from Mississauga to Calgary in 1984. Sarah was a very intelligent, gifted person. She was athletic, played many sports, and enjoyed the outdoors. She was musical and creative. She was very active in their church in Calgary. Sarah learned Spanish and went to help missionaries in Ecuador and Peru, spending several months in each country. Sarah excelled at school and university, getting a degree in science, and then one in education in Calgary before being accepted into medical school at McMaster University in Hamilton. Her parents moved back here to Ontario about the same time. Sarah got married soon after she graduated, and she and her husband had two boys soon after, just over a year apart. And she also completed some postgraduate training in family medicine and started her medical practice. Life was busy. Life was full. Sarah loved being a doctor. She was a compassionate and caring person, showing a genuine interest in others. She was loved by her patients. The family lived on a large, beautiful farm near Port Dover, with more than 30 sheep, chickens, and a couple of dogs. Her family, her two beautiful sons, were the joy of her life. It's at this point in Sarah's story that things are difficult 
to recount. And it's tempting to simply brush them aside. But Sarah would not want that. Sarah knew that the hard things she had been through could help her help others. This is a big reason why I volunteered to bring this message today. Her story, though in many respects a tragedy, may be helpful to all of us, and may be particularly helpful to some of you who've experienced similar difficulties or walked with loved ones through painful times. Sarah's marriage and her world fell apart. To try to cope with some painful experiences, Sarah found temporary relief in alcohol and eventually in drugs, particularly opiates, including fentanyl. Before long, it was extremely a matter of weeks. She had lost her home, her vehicles, access to her beloved boys, and her profession. She spent time in many treatment programs over the next few years with occasional brief improvement. She pled guilty to a drug-related charge and was sentenced to two years in federal prison. I had the privilege of visiting her a number of times when she was in prison at Grand Valley Institute, GVI, in Kitchener, uh, the prison for women, uh, they, they call it. She was always so welcoming and articulate. She was trying to work through the emotional, spiritual, and psychological issues that were contributors to her difficulties. She always had good insights into a range of things. And perhaps this is the time to say some things about mental health and addiction. Healing of anything is not always simple. Sometimes God heals cancer in a miraculous way. Sometimes he heals through the healing professions, through medicine. Sometimes there is no healing. Addiction and mental health issues often go together, and like physical illnesses, sometimes they are healed miraculously, sometimes more slowly, and with the help of healing professions. There are often traumas in a person's background that lead them to get involved in substances to relieve their emotional pain. That must be addressed. Spiritual issues are always a com component that needs to be addressed but there may be other kinds of counseling and help required. So going back to where Sarah was, when Sarah was in prison, she showed her characteristic concern for others there. She was interested in the well-being of fe fellow inmates and always uh, ready to help them. She was optimistic that she would be able to get back on her feet again and get her medical license back. While she was at GVI, police who knew something of her story asked her to speak to teens at a drug awareness event outside the prison. Sarah was an excellent communicator. They had never seen any of their previous speakers connect with youth like she did. Many had gathered around her after to ask her questions. 
Although she initially did well when she came out of prison, soon after going back to her old neighborhood, she was drawn back into substance use again. Later, she also had some serious medical issues that required a very difficult operation on her spine. While that was a success, and many were praying for that at the time, I remember it, during her recovery in hospital, a small metal part from an intravenous line became dislodged, entered her bloodstream, and migrated to an area near her lungs. Another serious operation was required to remove it. All this was in late uh, 2019, just before COVID. Sarah's mobility was affected. She did not receive the follow-up care and rehabilitation needed. All this to say she had some complicating uh, medical factors in addition to the substance abuse and emotional and psychological issues. She was a prisoner in more ways than one. She'd been physically imprisoned. She was captive to substances. Spiritually, she struggled. I began to ask for prayer for Sarah in Arendelle's prayer meetings, probably starting six or seven years ago. And I was thankful to answers for prayers. The prayers of her faithful parents, my own, and for yours as well, as parts of her story were shared in these prayer meetings here at Arendelle. I was grateful when in the fall of 2021, Sarah was able to live with Brenda and I, attend here uh, Arendelle again and make some big strides toward freedom. Some of you might remember Sarah meeting, uh, sitting with us here. She was with us from about October uh, 2021 until April 2022. Sarah was in rough condition when, at the start when she came to us. She, was, she came to us for a weekend. She needed a place for the weekend. And she ended up staying five months. And that was such an answer to prayer. She's with us. We're able to spend time with her. And she did really well uh, for, for several months. But then she re relapsed early in 2022. And we had to let her go in April last year. It was tough on her and it was tough on us too. It was very hard to understand. How could God so clearly answer prayer then for a relapse to occur. Earlier this year, Sarah shared with us that she had actually learned a lot from her time with us and from Dorothy and Doug Sargent and their help during those months. Yes, she had relapsed, but she had not stopped pursuing freedom in Christ. Sarah never gave up on getting free of substances and getting back into the caring professions in some way, if not with a medical license again, to use her experiences to be able to counsel and help others. In January this year, Sarah had another serious health emergency. Her mobility was getting worse. She was using a walker all the time and one evening could not move her legs at all. She was taken by ambulance to hospital they found another infection on her spine. A period of many weeks in hospital allowed Sarah to be well away from substances. 
In addition, some of her serious medical issues were addressed, and she also received some much-needed counseling and some good spiritual care. When she was eventually discharged, she was doing very well. She was meeting regularly with her parents, going to follow-up medical appointments, etc. Brenda and I were in frequent communication with her as well, and it was evident that she was in a good place again. We had a funny photo of her dog, Tristan, from her just before the Easter weekend this year with some witty comments. We could tell she was in a good place. Four weeks ago, April 9th, 2023, Easter Sunday morning. Sarah walked the short distance down the street and around the corner from where she lived in Kitchener to Benton Street Baptist Church. I should say why she went to that church. Um, one reason was that before, uh, beginning of the year sometime, because she told Brenda and I this story when we visited her in the hospital in February sometime, um, someone from Benton Street, a young woman, had seen Sarah with her walker and her little dog, and Sarah had fallen over, the, the dog had got the leash wrapped around her walker, and she'd fallen on the ground, and this young woman came up to her and asked if she could help her, and helped her up, and uh, said, you know, God loves you. Um, and Sarah said, I know he does. Uh, and uh, this young woman said, um, I go to Benton Street Baptist around the corner, and and Sarah had actually been there once. But this woman invited her to Benton Street Baptist. And so Easter Sunday morning, she went there. After attending the service, she wasn't feeling well. And she accepted someone's kind offer to drive her home. A little later, her parents picked her up, and they went out for Easter lunch. Sarah told her parents how she had been deeply moved by the sermon she had just heard. She explained that it was about Mary Magdalene encountering Jesus. Mary failed to recognize Jesus, but Jesus knew her and called her by name. Sarah was not feeling well again through that lunch as she recounted that story to her parents and asked her parents to drive her home. She died that night. Almost 51 years to the day from when my aunt and uncle had brought Sarah home, they carried a box with her ashes to the Guelph Arboretum. Uh, what's an arboretum? It's a large garden or park for trees. And it's a, it's a place I think many people like to go and sc scatter the ashes of loved ones. Brenda and I met my aunt and uncle there. We planned to find a spot there under some trees to scatter the ashes. The grass of the field. I'm gonna to get to why I have that in a second. I want you to think about that picture of my aunt and uncle. Her parents bringing Sarah home as a baby. Then 51 years later, 
bringing her ashes in a box. They were witnesses to her life from the beginning to the end. They went as a couple to the adoption agency, brought Sarah home as a family. They went as a couple with a box of ashes to the Guelph Arboretum and left a couple. Here we have the ache of grief from a baby in a basket to a box of ashes 51 years later. I don't know that there's a more powerful picture for how brief life is. You know, I lifted that box. It's about the weight of a baby. Is that what life is? Is that all life is? From a baby to ashes? Life is short. Isaiah 40, 6 to 8. A voice cries out, a voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. That picture of grass is found elsewhere in scripture frequently for the brevity of our lives. Psalm 37 verses 1 and 2, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. Psalm 90 verses 4 to 6, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Psalm 102:11. my days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Psalm 103, 14 to 16, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. And for those who grieve, is there nothing to offer except condolences? Life is short. And for those who grieve, is there nothing to offer except condolences? Thankfully, there is something. There is more than this brief life. Grief and joy 
in the garden. I told you that Sarah had gone to a church, Benton Street Baptist, near her on Easter Sunday morning, her last day. She heard this message about the resurrection. I want to look at that passage that was preached on that day, uh, John chapter 20. By the way, um, we did this, uh, this story in our um, Monday evening Bible stories for English learners class this last week. I know some of you were in that class. It's a beautiful story. It's one of my favorite in scripture. And it sure touched Sarah, uh, her last day on earth. I just want to set the context a little bit here. This is uh, Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And uh, uh, in chapter 19, just to set the context a little bit, uh, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And then chapter 20, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And then uh, Peter and uh, the other disciple, uh, John, um, uh, go in and so on, but they don't see Jesus. And then in verse, uh, verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Now, the term woman there is actually a term of endearment. It might not seem like it to us, but in the original language it was. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus could have declared who he was. In fact, a similar question is, is, is asked of Jesus in chapter 14. Uh, Again, in the garden, in, when Jesus is arrested, um, there's a, this crowd with Judas that comes to Jesus. And uh, Jesus, it says in verse 4 of chapter 18, Jesus, knowing that uh, all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am Jesus said, and it says, I am he, but in the Greek, it's I am. It is one of the I am statements in John, 
Uh, in John, there are many um, expressions uh, that use that phrase, I am. And here, uh, what was the effect of that statement? When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. And we could look at some other uh, examples in the Gospel of John where Jesus used that term powerfully. He could have said to Mary, I am. It's almost the exact same question. Who is it you want? Who are you looking for? But Jesus said her name, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, the point that the pastor at that church made that day was that Jesus was alive and revealed himself to Mary not by saying his name, but by saying her name, Mary. So what can we learn about this? There's a couple of things we can learn about grief from this. First, Jesus understands grief. See how tenderly he addresses Mary. Remember that earlier in the Gospel of John, we have a picture of Jesus weeping at the grave of Lazarus, uh, his friend. Weeping with grief, even though he's about to raise him from the dead, he understands grief. Secondly, grief awakens us to the reality that is, there is a greater life available. We have the feeling that things should not end this way. Thinking of my aunt and uncle, parents should not have to bury their child. Jesus said to another woman, Martha, the sister of his friend Lazarus, in John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked her. Jesus is able to move Mary from grief to joy. How? Because he is alive and he knows her name. I am convinced that he knows my name and he knows each of you. I'm going to finish my story about going to the Guelph Arboretum to scatter Sarah's ashes. A grove of splendor. So we met my aunt and uncle there at the Guelph Arboretum with Sarah's ashes. It was just them and Brenda and I. None of us had done this before. I was trying to think of a passage to read, and Brenda and I thought of a few possibilities on the drive there. 
Before we scattered her ashes under a grove of trees, my uncle prayed a beautiful prayer, thanking God for Sarah and her time with them. He asked me if I had a passage to read, and I said I'd been trying to think of one, and the, the phrase about beauty for ashes kept coming to mind, so I said, let me look that up and see whether it fits. We ended up reading it twice, not quite believing how perfectly it fit with Sarah's life and our grief. Isaiah 61, one to three. The spirit of the Lord, of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I said on Wednesday evening, I, I wish we'd looked for some oaks. We just looked for a grove of trees. And then after reading this, um, I thought, well, we should have looked for some oak trees. But here's what I want to say about that. I mean, you can see, I think you can see how it fit. But this passage did not just happen to fit for Sarah. This passage is the one that Jesus took as his mission, why he came. At the beginning of this service, Lionel read from Luke chapter 4, which describes the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus went into the synagogue and read this passage from Isaiah. What did Jesus say? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus took this passage as his mandate. This is the good news that Jesus came to preach. And he did more than just preach it. Jesus came and not only taught, he made the way through his death on the cross and his resurrection for us to be able to have life full life, abundant life, eternal life in him. We have in this passage in Isaiah a portrait not just of Sarah. We have a portrait of Mary Magdalene. We have a portrait of all of those that Jesus came to save. He came to be the rescuer, as we say in our Bible stories for English learners class. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner, it's a portrait of each one of us. This passage in Isaiah also gives us a picture of the transformation to be brought out by Jesus as the rescuer, the one who saves. What does it say again? The oil of joy, joy instead of mourning. Beauty instead of ashes, praise instead of despair.
And instead of grass, a grove of oak trees, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Trees are often used in scripture as a picture of established growth, of flourishing, the contrast to grass. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, his glory. Our life now, as wonderful as it might seem, in our best of days is like grass compared with our future life with Jesus when we shall see him and be like him. We will be oaks of righteousness. So in summary, think of grass, a garden, and a grove. The grass of the field. Life is short. Grief and joy in the garden. It's in the garden that we see the transition from grief to joy. Jesus understands our grief. Grief, our response to death, awakens us to the reality of a greater life, a resurrected life, because Jesus himself rose. Finally, a grove of splendor. Jesus came to rescue people like Sarah, like Mary Magdalene, like you, and like me. Jesus came to defeat death and bring life. So how do we respond? First of all, believe and trust. Not facts, but a person. Uh, sometimes we think of the Christian faith as some doctrines to be learned, some ideas to be understood and accepted. And while that is good, uh, the belief is not in the facts, it's in a person. It's trust in Jesus himself. He knows your name. It's personal. It's him meeting you, speaking your name. So if you don't know him, talk to one of us, and we'd be happy to lead you towards him. Secondly, tell others. This is exactly what Jesus told Mary to do. Go and tell the other disciples, I'm alive. And finally, keep praying for those you love. Don't give up. Sarah finished her life well. She finished her life, I am confident. I said at her eulogy, I can imagine Jesus coming to her just like he did to Mary and saying, Sarah, and took her home. Keep praying for those you love. You know, I, I'm going to just close with a psalm that I used to pray for Sarah. And I just thought of this this morning. I, um, psalm 40. It's a great prayer for those who 
are going through cycles of addiction or, or just problems that you keep going back into. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. I would pray it for her. Um, he lifted me out of the slimy pit. This is kind of first person, but you can, you can pray it for others too. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. It's so easy to slide back in. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. I used to pray for that for her. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I spoke to Sarah about praying that for her and saying, and we agreed, wouldn't it be great if people would respond because she got free and she was able to use her life to influence others. Many will see, see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And maybe you, having heard her story today, will see and fear and put your trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, expressed in words, expressed in Jesus coming himself and saving us through his death on the cross. More than words, more than teaching, he came to give himself. Thank you for his resurrection, that we have the hope of eternal life. Thank you for your salvation. Father, I pray that if there are any here this morning who do not know you, that you would stir their hearts they would think of the brevity of life and turn to you in whom is life. Amen.